Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos, where we present tips, tools, and techniques to help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor at Lokahi Counseling. This channel and the Calming the Chaos podcast is for those who want self-help and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like the information, please subscribe to my channel and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. Hello, and welcome to another live podcast interview at Calming the Chaos. We're really happy to be with you today, as always, helping you find peace in a chaotic world. And there does seem to be a fair share of chaos in the world, as per usual. So I'm glad to have you here with me, whoever you are. We will be answering questions from the live chat when I introduce my guest and at the end of when she talks and tells her story. I'm so excited to be able to take any kind of questions. I may not be the best at looking at chat, but I do try. And we've got our moderators, Tim, and Mark helping us out with questions. If you have any questions for our guest today, who is Michaela Cox. And she is a seven time published author. She's got a lot of diverse books, all sort of having to do with life's journey and how she was able to survive what she calls the 38 triple D, which I'll have her tell you about. And also some tips and tools that she's found on her journey of life that can help you calm your chaos. Remembering chaos is overwhelm when things just seem really mixed up, confused, and there's a lot of overwhelm in your life. So if you have overwhelm in your life and on your life's journey, I think this podcast episode is really going to help you. And I'm so excited to introduce our guest. Michaela Cox. I'm going to go ahead and add her to the stream and we can have a conversation. Welcome, Michaela. It's good to have you on Calming the Chaos. Well, I'm glad to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm really super happy to be here with you and have you share your story with us. I know that's that's really the story and your message is what you like to share with people. Why don't you start with uh, just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do now? Um, I am Michaela Cox. Nice to be here with everyone. Um, I am, as you correctly said, a multi-published author. I've been writing pretty much my whole life. Um, currently, I'm working on a new project. I'm a single mom with my two babies, and we're fixing to head into summertime. The school year is very quickly wrapping up, and we live in Louisiana. So that's pretty much what I do. I write, and I'm a mom. And both of your kids go to in-person school. Is that right? Correct. They begged me, especially my daughter. It's like, please don't let me not meet with my friends. I'm like, fine, go. Godspeed. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. How old is your daughter? Um, she is 10. She will be 11 in August. My son is seven going on eight. They're both August babies. And um, getting kind of nervous because that means I'm going to have a middle schooler. I'm like, God help me. <laughs> I might wow. need help in the chaos of the next three years. God knows what I'm in for. So I don't know. Well, we'll have to have you back on to see how you did it, right? After you do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Well, and and 10 and 7, they're really social ages for kids. So, of course, they want to be with their friends, right? Oh, that's what we do on the weekends. It's like, who's spending the night at our house? And then can we go be, you know, like, okay, go. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. So uh, did you have a lot of problems handling the pandemic? Just because that's kind of what we're pulling out of right now. Was it hard with the two kids? No, not really. I mean, part of my life is I'm home all the time because well, one of the triple D's is I'm disabled. So I pretty much stay home unless people take me places. And I don't mind that because I always have a lot of work to do and I work from home. That's I'm an author, so I can just as easily stay at home and write on my computer and do podcast interviews of late. But so it wasn't an adjustment for me as far as like, oh my gosh, I'm home all the time. No, that's pretty much what I do. So it didn't really bother me. It was more of I got behind on my workload. So I had to power through writing three books in 90 days because I lost half of March and April and May with the kids being home. So I had to make it up during the summertime. So that was a bit challenging, but I just hired babysitters. <laughs> wow. So so you had to help your kids through the schooling because they had to do homeschooling then uh, from March, April and May of last year. Louisiana was having a hard time getting their act together. No offense. So we kind of were just relaxing and chilling and we would work on a few things here and there and kind of just enjoyed the time together. Mm-hmm. And then they went back to school full time in uh, in person in September. Is that right? Well, it, yeah, actually, because usually we go back in August, but because of the pandemic, the school boards kept changing their minds, and then we got hit with two hurricanes. So I'm very characteristically of the Southern South schedule, school schedule. We went back September fourth. I'm like, what are we up north? I mean, this was not the norm. <laughs> two hurricanes. I remember that now yeah. that you remind me. So it kept the the start date that was supposed to be August 12th last year got moved to August 26th for the pandemic. By the time they did that, one hurricane. Oh, we might be able to start. No, we're going to have to wait. So they kept it. It went till September 4th. They're like, are we ever going to start school? But of course, by then the parents were all yelling because they're like, this has been going on for seven months. We need something, you know, because it was tackled on to like what people were saying was the longest spring break or summer break ever. So, you know, exactly. Yeah. Longest spring or summer, however you you look at it, but regardless, it, it set you back on your schedule for your writing because you were having to help your kids through school. Yeah. And just, you know, they're home and I don't generally write with their home because it's hard to, I love my children. Don't get me wrong. But when you're trying to put declarative sentence together for a paper or, or article and you're interrupted every five minutes, can't even get it out of your head. So I just generally don't. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you kind of made my uh, my head blur with that declarative sentence, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and skip over that for now because I'm not remembering that at all, but I'm sure I do that. I'm, I'm not really sure what it is though. So, well, so let's start and talk about your thir- the message of your 38 triple D. And if you can just tell our listeners about it and what you want to say about it. Yeah, um, it's a good way to describe my own life journey. I kind of started coining it because it really sums it up very well. And it's the thing of 38 Triple D, knowing how to thrive through all things in life. And for the ones who are probably very curious right now, we will take them out of their misery. It means um, lifelong disability of legal blindness from birth. There's never been a day where I haven't been either blind, visually impaired, or disabled. I don't know anything different. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to change. So from day one, first breath, I've always been that way. always will be. I've worked really hard to continue on and adjust. So that's the first D. 
and we can get more and unpacking that in a little bit. Um, the second one was divorce at age 26. Um, and then after getting divorced in 05, I was very blessed and fortunate to meet a wonderful man who became the love of my life. And we were together for 12 years, almost counting dating and marriage. And then uh, unexpectedly and tragically, we lost him, who is the father of my two children in 2017, right over four years ago. And they were um, six and three and I was 38. So hence 38 triple D, I can say I've experienced and walked through disability, divorce and death by the age of 38. So yeah, death of a loved one, right? And that's uh, yeah. that's when you say it's a, a beloved spouse is, is how you, you talk about him for yeah. sure. When did you start writing? I'm just curious about that. In the middle of that that synopsis of your life there up until age 38, when did you start your, your writing journey? I've always written. It's I guess I always felt like I, if I didn't have much else to give the world, I had my voice and my words and I could do something with that. I was writing as a kid. I mean, obviously I'm not, I didn't write then what I write now, but I mean, I was, it was always a part of my life. It's who I am. It's what I do when I'm not doing it. I'm thinking about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, when did you decide that you would like to take some of your writing and become published? I think it's been a, it's also been a journey of finding my way in a career of writing and uh, slowly, but surely I would see that I had the ability and, hopefully the talent for it and people liked it and then um in middle school and high school um English teachers showed me like you, what you could kind of open my mind and my worldview to what I could do with what I write and I just started trying to find my own way and as things unfolded I would write and try and see what I could do with it. Great. And we can talk a little bit more about your writing later, too, when we talk about your books. Yes. So I, I remember you telling me a bit of a story about your the first D, which is disability or legal blindness since birth. And yes. I asked you that question of how did your parents know that you were were blind or were, were unable to see? How did they, they know and how did they discover that? Well, um, I was, I'm was i a November baby, so I'm Scorpio, and I'm fixing to show my age. <laughs> I'll be 43 in November. So back in the 70s, um, when I was born in 78, it's, you know, being November 7th, you're getting close to the, about a month old, you're getting really close, or right before a month old mark, you're getting close to the holidays. So, of course, they were doing the normal holiday thing, getting a tree and, you know, making the house nice, you know, whatever you do. Um, we all have our own traditions. And so they got their Christmas tree. And, you know, as I'm sure you know from your background, the way that, you know, life develops with newborns and infants and children, they respond to stimuli. And that's how they grow and, and take their world. And so we live in a very visual world where probably 90% of our information and knowledge comes through our, what would most people arguably say is our predominant um, sense. And so I guess my mom thought that a, a new baby would like to see pretty lights like most do. And so she had me in a bassinet by the Christmas tree and she noticed I wasn't paying it any attention no matter what side of the tree she put me on. So she thought that was odd. And so I guess when we went back to a, a pediatrician, you know, second month visit, she asked about it and they were noticing things and were concerned. And at three months they, um, <clears throat> which would have put us February of 79, which is when my documentation started, um, recommended my parents go to start seeing specialists in Houston, which is where I was born. Okay. <clears throat> and so you're from Texas originally, right? Yes. And that is yeah. what I 
<laughs> wow. So then I guess with your parents, they, I mean, I, I've talked to you and you seem to be a really confident person. They must have really taken awesome care of you and made sure that you had every sort of advantage and make sure that you had every, uh, the best care available. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so what was it like for you growing up with, you know, and this is all you've ever known. So it's probably, you don't have a whole lot to compare it to, but yeah. if you could just describe how it was for you to be, uh, learning how to, you may not have remembered how to learn how to walk, but being in school and all that stuff. I remember most of school age stuff. I, I do know because there was a picture for a while when before I was in school, they had me wear a patch because I thought if they could get one eye going in the right direction, the other one might, I don't know, move the line up somehow. I don't know how they explained or why they thought that was accurate, but they just tried it for a little bit. I did have uh, four surgeries on my eyes, not to solve the problem, but to fix cosmetically because as I grew, my muscles would get a loose or too tight and they'd have to, and they would like make it turn in or turn out or look funky. And so they'd have to go in and fix it. But um, <clears throat> as far as school is concerned, excuse me, I was that kid that was always on the front row and doing things differently and having extended time and taking longer to do things. And, you know, everyone knew it was no secret. I mean, I was the only one. So, um, I always had accommodations. I don't know if they're still called this, but IEPs, you know, individual um, education plans with all my accommodations and things that needed to be done throughout the year. Depending on what year we're talking about, I would have different technology, different equipment. Uh, in second and third grade, I was wearing bifocals and trifocals. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know most people don't have to get so older, but I was doing it as a kid. Um, I One year I had like a little telescope I would use to try and see the chalkboard better. Um, um, fourth grade, I had like these really huge, huge, crazy books. I don't understand why people haven't figured out that just because you need a large print textbook doesn't mean the book has to be bigger. The, the print on the pages just have to be bigger, normal size, and just add more pages to the book. So it's like these crazy, and I'm a short person anyway. So I'm only, I mean, as an adult, I'm only five foot one. So it's like these crazy long books that like when you go to like a, a church fellowship hall for a lunch and you have those fold out tables that are like, I don't know, probably easily five or six feet in width lengthwise, you know, across the table. And so these crazy books that would literally take up the whole table. So I'm like this little fourth grader sitting in a chair, having to get on my knees in the chair to be high enough to read the top and then sit back down to read the bottom. I mean, this is nuts. I'm like, who came up with this? It's crazy. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. This is nuts. And I had to like lug these huge books. I'm like, forget it. We need to go up with something better because this is not happening. I'm like, I'm not doing this. And then in fifth grade, I started doing everything on audiobook. Um, and I did that most of my life. Actually, that's prefer how, how I prefer to read because I really do love to read. I'm just physically not going to do it on my own unless I'm really desperate and really want that book. But um, I prefer audible like most people do or readers or, you know, whatever. So um, in high school, it was just extended time. I took the ACT for people are stateside knowing when you enter college or university that we have SAT and ACT. Mostly in the South, you take ACT unless you're trying to get in certain universities. I had to do that totally different for most people. Um, it would, instead of like just going to whatever local testing site and taking four hours, I, it took me 10 to 12 hours to take it. So I would like have to for like a week <clears throat> get out of like three or four class periods at school go to my uh, guidance counselor's office. One day I would do one whole section that would take three to four hours. I would listen to it on tape. 
I would circle in the testing book what it was, and my guidance counselor would transfer the answers because I can't do scantrons because they're too small, and my signature that makes me skip lines, and you know that would be bad if you skip a line and put the wrong. Anyway, it's a whole thing. <laughs> like I said, chaos. And <laughs> so in college, um, I had readers and technology and scribes and all that jazz. So. Well, that was a that was a good synopsis of how things sort of evolved for you as well, from the large books to the readers and to people helping you along the way. So, well, so where did the chaos come in here? Uh, I know there's probably several different points that you can think of, but what comes to your mind when you think of the chaos of having a disability and legal blindness since you were born? Navigating the world, um, having to you can't move the disability because it's not going anywhere. There's no fix for it. Um, so if I can't move the disability, but I want to have a good and productive life and still do things despite being disabled, okay, what do I have to do to get around this elephant or this mountain of my life? So I had to get really creative and always coming up with options and, you know, other ways of doing things and thinking outside the box and being resourceful and, you know, being okay with asking for help and getting, being an advocate and just navigating all that. It's always something new. It's like the problem of my visual impairment or legal blindness is still the same, but what's interesting about with each phase in life, new things come up, right? Cause we're doing different things. So that meant new, even though the, the problem was the same and the root of the disability was the same, that meant I had new things I had to navigate around. So it's never the same thing, no matter what phase in life I'm at, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then when you said that about the big books, like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Did you actually say to your parents or the administrators of the school, I'm not going to do this anymore? I don't remember exactly what I said in fourth grade. We just somehow realized this is not the best way of doing this, this is not working. We need to find something else because this is nuts. I'm mm -hmm. like, no. And that was a way that you advocated for yourself and attempted to calm that kind of chaos that you have. I can only imagine having that happen and being a person with sight, having to, to, to have a bigger book and having to, like what you said, like, like kneel down and or kneel up and look up at it and everything like that. It yeah, would be, nice. yeah, it would be really yeah. super difficult. And so do you think that for the most part, your childhood and growing up and being in the school system, do you think it was, was for the most part, a difficult journey for you? Yeah, because uh, never mind just having to work really 10 times harder because one of the, the things of my disability, it takes me longer to do everything. So let's say you're doing, I don't know, whatever assignment in class, the odds are if it takes someone 30 minutes, it's going to take me at least 45 minutes, if not longer. So mm -hmm. it's always the extra time and the extra hoops of jumping through. So it adds like 10 layers to just doing what normal people do that do without even thinking about it. And you're like still going, okay, I'm still trying to figure this out and I'm still doing it. And I should have been done five minutes ago, but I can. And, you know, ugh, just nuts. And then, you know, it was no secret because I was the only one and there were things that I had to do to uh, get through school. So I stood out all the time. There was, <laughs> it was no secret that I was the, you know, the disabled kid. So, and we know that kids can be cruel and, and, you know, whatever means. So I not only navigating a world with a disability, I was battling, you know, rejection and bullying and, you know, harassment and teasing and all that crap that kids do. So whatever. And this was back in Texas or was this, no, was this, Completely mostly, back. Mostly kindergarten through 12th grade. I had some type of social issue I was dealing with as well. So whatever. 
Okay. Yeah. So, well, I, I would think that uh, that would be really super challenging. How is it that, because I know that even people who have sight and not even are, uh, have a disability get bullied in school. Right. So what do you think that you would offer as far as tips or a tool or something that you, or even a mindset shift? Cause I know you're really into changing your mindset with bullying and that whole subject of bullying. What do you have to offer, offer there? this is probably not very popular in current times, but I tend to have a different perspective on it. And it's things I wish I had felt more comfortable doing um, when I was a, a kid, but I was too worried about getting in trouble. So I, I didn't do it. I just took it. Uh, standing up for yourself and being an advocate for yourself and trying to do what you have to, to either get away from it or stop it. And like I said, it's not a popular decision, but if you really feel like you're in danger, I'm not advocating picking a fight, but, don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. I was going to say, we're not afraid. You said that was not a popular opinion, but uh, we're not afraid of anything on this show. So you can go ahead yeah. and talk about it. What I mean is it's not the, not here per se, but I feel like in current school systems and in education, it's like they're so worried about so many politically correct stuff for better or for worse, depending on your opinion that, you no, know, it's like everyone's, you have Sally that's getting whatever by whoever. And then, because it's Sally decided to stand up for herself, then she gets as much trouble as the one that actually started it. Like, really? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's fair. I mean, when my husband, we talked about before our kids were in school, that if they ever got in trouble at school for standing up for themselves, then okay, fine. Suspend them. We'll let them have fun at school because we don't want our kids growing up being afraid to stand for themselves and, mm -hmm. and defend themselves. I mean, yeah, I understand why the schools do what they do, but Kids have to learn to do that even in school age because when they become adults, the world doesn't give a dang. Well, so assertiveness is really, really on the top rung of if you are going to be surviving bullying or even a disability in in the school system and in life, it really helps to be your own advocate. So so there's there's a couple of A's there, advocacy, self-advocacy, and um, yeah, so so great. Well, so then adversity is something that you had actually encountered quite a bit growing up through through school yeah. did you find that it developed thicker skin for you do you think that like the experience of continuously having it happen over and yeah. over it does um i mean i was a little sensitive because i'm an only child so i didn't grow up with like i think me taking on um bullying and harassment was harder for me because i didn't i didn't grow up with siblings that are always picking on each other you know what i mean and you learn to roll with it and like they're just whatever and i was an only child so i i was around adults all the time <laughs> so i was like i don't understand like what like what did i do anyway so that was a little bit different but um maybe not so much in that way i was still sensitive and it was hard to well whether i was sensitive or not when you do it continuously and you're always being constantly it kind of wears you down eventually and so it gets hard but it was more of, I think, constantly going against challenges and obstacles and pressures and rejection and all those myriad of things. If you want to survive it, you have to make a choice. What are you going to do with it to get through it? And so I've always had the attitude and was raised with the point of view of let's see what she can do. Let us see what she wants to do and how she how far she goes with it and never stop and never quit and never give up resiliency and persistence and determination and, and you know, sheer, sheer willpower and persistence and perseverance. So 
If you continue to practice it, it does get easier though, is what you're trying to say as far as the resilience piece. Yeah. You develop thicker skin along the way. Yeah, and you just have to make a choice that no matter what, you're gonna do what you gotta do. I know there's a lot of creators on YouTube and on other social media platforms who have experienced that sort of thing, rejection, people bullying and harassing them online. And so I think that's a really good sort of advice for them as well when you think about stick up for yourself and developing resilience by not slinking away, but continuing to face it and your mindset just being that, you know, I'm making a choice here to overcome this. Yeah. And knowing that I'm going to do what I have to do to do what I want to do in life and make sure that I have the life I want and not being defined by it. It's I love that. It starts with a choice. Yeah. Now, is that always easy? No, I'm not saying that, but it does come down eventually to choice. And we all make choices. We do it every day. We just, we choose to wake up. We're going to go work out before we go to work or we're going to, what are we eating for breakfast? Life is choices. We may not like that. And even in choosing not to do anything, you're still making a choice. So you can't get out of the reality that life is choices strung together and what choices we make takes us in one direction or the other. So you can choose one or the other, but it is, you're still choosing. So you have to make a choice what you want for your life and what you want to do with it and how you're going to do it. So and uh, really quick here, Lev. So what were your resources growing up? What did you have? Who did you have in your corner? What did you have uh, that you can rely on for resources when you were going through your school years? And then we'll talk about the second D, which is divorce. Right. Um, um, my parents were growing up. It was my parents and um, strong advocates and doing what we had to do. And then um, usually I'm trying to remember how we figured out. I think we got resources from the state, which is how we found out it was so long ago, I forget, the the books on audio instead of me reading in fifth grade for every textbook, because it was a good thing, because high school, there's so much material for all seven or eight classes. I don't think I would have been able to keep up if I didn't have audiobooks once you got into like the harder grades, because mm -hmm. it's not just one course. You're doing history and you're doing, you know, all the things we do in high school and middle school. So. So the resources were mainly your parents and your parents found you additional resources that helped you evolve in in going through the process of getting educated. Yeah. And maybe through the school or I, like I said, it was so long ago, I forgot how we discovered what we discovered. But yeah, just the things we would find. And eventually, um, summer of 92 um, in Reston, um, I don't know if any of you have heard of it, the National Federation of the Blind. I don't necessarily stick with them. I haven't been involved with them in a long time, but there's three um, centers in the country that are what the NFB likes to do. There's other ones, but I'm talking specific in line with the NFB um, for training for um, blindness. And so, you know, I'm not totally blind. I did do a program summer of 92 to try and get some additional skill sets that I may have needed and we didn't know to what extent. And I do use them sometimes depending on the circumstance, but um, so I did that, and through those organizations, we discovered more technology and different things, so, you know. That's great. Well, I'm glad to hear that that is uh, something that is offered out there. I don't know if our moderators can find links for, you said the National Federation of the Blind? Yeah, for the blind. 
for the blind. Yeah. And uh, do you want to go into how your your vision is impaired? I know you told me kind of a funny, not a funny story, but you were you were saying about how your sight was uh, quote unquote jacked up and how, it you know, what totally it is. Up. Oh my gosh, it's not one thing. People are like, well, what can you say? I'm like, well, it depends on this. It's not cut and dry. It's not simple. Um, the root of it is um, optic nerve atrophy or op I can't ever say it right. A-T-R-O-P-H-Y. Anyway, um, so what that basically means is if you've ever been in anatomy or physiology class or been in your eye doctor's office and seen a graph of it, it, a normal optic nerve in the body is supposed to be a certain shape and mine's the wrong shape and it's also the wrong color. So normal optic nerves are purple, mine's the color of a vanilla folder. As a matter of fact, part of the reason why they thought I was originally blind is because they couldn't find my optic nerve. They thought I didn't have it when apparently according to the specialist, it was just so pale, no one could see it. So it's yeah. totally the wrong color. And so what that basically means is your bloodstream that goes through the optic nerve to send the receptions to the brain to trip whatever it trips to for your eyes to perceive what it's supposed to be taking and image wise to the world. It takes a lot longer for that process to go through my um, optic nerve. So it's really slow. And so it depends on my ability of perceiving whatever I'm supposed to be seeing. Is it nighttime? Is it the daytime? How far away? The size? The color? Does it blend? Does it not blend? Um, am I in the new environment? Am I been using my eyes eight hours out of the day and they're already exhausted? You know, is it small print? Is it a, a type of font that's more challenging to interpret versus just maybe... Um, New Times, New Roman or Arial or, you know, whatever we all, Curry or whatever we all use, you know, Georgia, whatever, all those different fonts we have on our computers. So it's, and then <laughs> you add on top of the unfixable part of the optic nerve atrophy, you add nystigmatism, nystagmatism, nearsightedness, not very good peripheral vision and not very good depth perception. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> well, yeah. And so you, you learn how to type and you, you probably do voice to text. I'm trying to think of all the tools you must have to use because you can see a little bit. You can't yeah. see really defined stuff, but you. It depends. Yeah. yeah so uh, how did you learn how to type? Well, I took typing courses like most everyone. And most of the time when I'm writing, I'm not looking at the keyboard. I'm going off of feel or memory. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like when you're sitting when in a typing course, we memorize the positions where the main home keys are and then you just move your so I'm going off of memory like everyone else who learned how to do the home keys and I don't know how they type I don't know how they teach it today they may have a totally different mm -hmm. method but you know your main home keys of the A D S D F and then you skip G and H and you go to J K L and then where that weird yeah semicolon and you just move your fingers to the side or up or down so I mean, yeah that's exactly how we learned we learned how to type as well how do you how are you able to see then or or correct what might have been because I don't know about you I'm not a very accurate typist maybe you're a better typist than I am how are you that's why I have editors and Grammarly and spell check and grammar check okay they save my butt and make my stuff legible okay <laughs> No denying it. I am a writer only. Well, I appreciate that because I think that, you know, anybody can overcome obstacles and live the life that they really want to live. They can write yeah. books if they're, you know, if they're legally blind and they can use tools. I think it just depends on how your mindset is about achieving your goals. For now, sure. I know a lot of authors who do dictation, like they dictate their books into the computer. 
I could do that if I wanted. It's just, it's not the way my mind works. I do much better when I'm typing and thinking about it. And then I'll write to like, oh, wait a minute. I need to read. So I prefer to actually just bang it out and type it out. And as I'm working through what I want to say, so I could probably do it quicker, but just the way my mind works, I prefer to actually type mine out. So yeah, yeah. I know so a lot of people that like speak them and it speeds up the process. So I could do that if I wanted to. Wow. And I know there's great software, like, um, is it called Dragonfly or something? And I know like with MacBooks, there's um, dictation built into like pages or whatever. So it just depends on your system. Right. And what's your, what you, what you prefer to do and what's easiest for you for sure. So. And there used to be this software and I haven't been able to use it in a long time because when it first came out, it was not for MacBooks. It was only for PCs and I've been on Mac since 2014, but as far as my laptop and then iPad before that and you know, whatever um, it's called zoom text. And I don't talk about like zoom, like our, our, you know, like conference meetings, but actual zoom text, meaning it was solely made to zoom the text on your computer screen, no matter what application you're in. And then it would also have, if you so chose, you could have it read it to you as well. And it had like, once upon a time, it had like different voices and it would literally read anything on the screen. So if you're having more colorful language, it would actually read that too is kind of interesting and fun sometimes. Yeah. Wow. I I had heard of Dragon Naturally Speaking software, but I hadn't heard of the Zoom Zoom text you said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. And enlarge it like up to like crazy amount of magnifications. Like if you really needed it really just crazy huge. Like I think it went up to like 72 times or more you can magnify in Zoom text. It was nuts. Exactly. Well, and all you have to do is carry around a MacBook, which is pretty light as opposed to a big old book that you have to what, stand up yeah. on a ladder to read, right? Yeah, no kidding. But even iPads or iPhones are really good with accessibilities and enlarging. And I mean, that's what I do all the time on my phone or iPad. I'm either, you know, using my fingers to zoom in or out or, you know, I always have my devices on like a bigger font size or whatever. So, right, right. And I like brightest as possible. Like I would never do... I know some people like night modes where, where it's black and white. I'm like, no, give me the white with the black on it. I'm like, no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so let's talk about the second D of the triple D, which is the divorce. By, by age 26, you were divorced. And we'll want to focus on, you know, not so much the details unless you want to offer them, but how you coped with the chaos of divorce. I know a lot of the people who listen to this show have been through a divorce or are going through a breakup of some sort. So yeah, just a little bit about the second D. What do you like to say about that? Um, it was my first husband. We met in college like most people do and, you know, at university or whatever. And then graduate, you know, you get married and then you start your life together and it's supposed to be great, right? Like what just the normal flow of life, you know, as we develop and go through the stages. And um, I was unaware of some things going on and I found out in that marriage and we had issues and lack of intimacy and he had a addiction on the internet like porn. So it's choices he made and we worked on it for a long time. And it came down to that from his own background and the things that were going on in his life that for whatever reason, and I never solved it and it's not my business anymore, but he just wasn't willing to do what it took to rectify the things that needed to be fixed. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I'm done. We've been to counselor after counselor. We've investigated all sorts of options. And so obviously it's something mental or emotional or psychological that you're not wanting to face. And I don't have a problem with you having issues. We all have issues. God knows. I've got baggage, you know, <laughs> but 
you got to be an adult at some point, no matter what happened to you 20 years ago or 10 years ago and be willing to address it and move on, not move on, but find your way through it and have the life you want. You know, you can't just let it ruin your life forever and not have a life, I guess. I, I, I mean, I guess you can, but then what kind of life is that? And I, I've never chosen that path. And so I don't understand it personally and I don't do that. And so it was the issue of that. He wasn't willing to do what it took to fix it. So I was like, obviously this isn't going to work. And so I walked away as far as how I coped with it. Once it happened, um, I moved back to a town that I, I lived in Reston where we went to college which is only 30 minutes from where I'm at now. So it was no thing for me to move back to where my friends and my parents lived. And um, so it was just kind of being around people that, you know, was a support, a support system. I got into counseling. Um, I went through a program called divorce care that kind of walks you through a curriculum of, looking at all the things that are involved in divorce and figuring out what you want to do about them and how you feel about them and ways of handling them. And I just kind of took a year and just to figure out me and kind of reset and recharge and like, okay, this didn't go the way I thought it would. I'm not headed in the direction I thought I would be in at this point in my life. So what do I want now? What's coming next? And just kind of thought about it and just took a year to kind of figure out, okay, I'm on my own now. So what do I want? It just, it's up to me, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of explore and see where I wanted to go. And then I just kind of just enjoyed that year of working and being with friends and just figuring out me again, you know? Yeah. Right. I suppose that a lot of the chaos would have come from just that discovery of there's something wrong here. And yeah. you said he had a porn addiction and there was a lack of intimacy. So there's, there's that kind of confusion that happens where you don't know really what's going on, but you know, things aren't right. Exactly. Yeah. I just thought that when you have a problem, you get help for it. So I was willing to get help to figure this out. And, you know, I, I take my word and my integrity and the commitments I make and obviously the sanctity of the vows of marriage very seriously. So I was willing to do whatever it took. And I did for about three years. But then in marriage, it takes two to get married. It takes two to be married. It takes two to make it work. And unfortunately, if one is not willing, the other one can't do it. So it was... I came to the point where I realized this isn't going to work no matter what I try or no matter how much willing or how much I may want it to, it's, it's not going to happen on my own. He has to want it to. So. And how long were you two married? Um, on paper, almost four years, but we lived together for almost for a little over three years when I moved out for the second time. Yeah. So some couples will work on their problems for years and years, and then they'll just come to a point where they just understand that it's not going to go any further. Like for you, he wasn't willing to work on it only to a certain point, And he wasn't willing to make the changes that were things that you wanted him to make. And so, yeah, so you were in counseling and you tried everything that you could, it sounds like. I mean, I wanted it to because I wanted our marriage to work, but it wasn't even about what I wanted other than I was his wife in that kind of relationship with those kind of problems, it doesn't work without those being resolved. You can't go beyond that point unless you just don't care about it and subsisting in the crap show that it was when that's someone's prerogative and fine. But if you want it to get better, things have to happen to make that happen. And so it was my request, but it was also what was needed. That's a boundary, right? It was like, this yeah. is exactly what I need to stay in this relationship. And if it doesn't happen, then the results and the consequences that uh, the, the relationship will end and it's not the way you wanted it to be, but that's the way it happened. Right. 
what would you say that it was that you did or thought or any kind of help that you could get as far as managing any of the chaos of discovery of of actually working with a counselor and also, I, from what I see is three areas. The third area is just the decision that you made to end the relationship. And that was very challenging for me. Um, I'm, um, I'm not sure of your audience's background. I know we're all diversified, but personally for me, I come from a place of a lifelong journey, pretty much my whole life of being raised in a Christian home and Christian faith. And I've been a believer for more of my life than not probably going on. Oh, what did I say the other day? I think I was 38 years going this month, 38 years. So I became one and a believer at a young age. So um, until my generation, meaning me and the other three grandkids in my family, our families didn't get divorced. Like there's no divorce in our family until my generation. None. Mm -hmm. So we weren't raised that way. I didn't believe in divorce. I didn't want it to be a part of my life. My parents in November this year will be married for 47 years together for half a century. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't raised around that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that was a very hard thing for me to make a decision that went against everything that I was raised to believe in and never wanted to be a part of my life. I struggled with it for six months, like seriously, a good six months when I was in counseling. It, we just talked about, do I stay or do I go? And what do I have to do? And how do I come to terms with this? Because it was very challenging for my own personal beliefs. Um, it was a decision that I came to probably towards, that was 04. So that was like around the holidays. Um, my counselor said something to me, um, in the Bible, it states very specifically that God hates divorce, but why does he hate divorce? Because it harms us. Well, if you're in a marriage that is harming you, do you really think that if God's law is meant to protect you, that he's going to hold you to a law that is no longer helping you, then it's harming you. So that was really freeing for me. Right. Like, it I, helps you to have a more uh, wide view of that, yeah. of that scripture, right? Yeah. And so for me, where, I mean, I'm, I'm sure not everyone's coming from a place of faith. I'm just explaining my journey and, you know, each to their own. But for me, that was very important to me. And so I wanted to make sure I was found not correct. Like I won the battle with my husband, but correct within my beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do it for the right reasons and find a way to make that be okay with my beliefs. But then when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's something I never, I am being harmed in this marriage. And I know my, you know, my Lord and savior for me and my heavenly father would not want any harm to come to me. So then maybe there is a way I can be free from this marriage and not be in the wrong mm -hmm. in the eyes of my faith or my beliefs that I've always had for a very long time. And so that helped me. And then um, I, not only that, I had gained some information of what was going on with him. And I was like, you know what? I can't keep going in this non-fixable, very harmful cycle. And so I'm done. This is not working. And so I felt comfortable in my decision to that. I had done everything I could and had tried everything that could be possible. And I was done. Yeah. Some of the people I work with in counseling will, will talk in terms of their knowing their like inner intuition and knowing when they've made the right decision. It's exactly. like this whole relaxation of the body. Like I know that this is what I'm doing and it's right. So yeah. it sounds like that's where you were at. I probably stayed too long, but I would have rather have stayed too long and walk away when I knew that it was, I was free and clear. I did everything I could. I don't have any regrets. Like I don't lay awake at night, 16 layers. Like, man, what if we, no, I have no regrets. I don't look back. I, 
I'm free and clear of it and I can live with that and sleep very comfortably on that score. Right, right. So did your uh, did your church community or faith community help you out in any way with making this decision, especially since it did come from a faith-based perspective? We did seek the counsel of certain ministers and it was, I don't want to say it was unanimous and I understand that different people have their own beliefs. Some saw that it was very black and white and I was in the clear. Some said it's kind of your judgment call you know, it's a little bit of a gray area. And then some were like, no, you need to work this out. I'm like, dude, um, you're a normal um, American male who has been married for so many years and have three kids. So you're not continuing with what I'm continuing with. So until that happens, yeah, I don't want to hear it because mm-hmm. most men, if they had to go without certain things with their wife in a relationship would not tolerate that. So mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you're really super clear about what you stand for, your values and yeah. what you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just found it interesting that some men, not all, were in a very cozy position of saying, well, you, well, no, you wouldn't put up with that. Most men would not tolerate that. So don't tell me as the woman what I should. I'm like, no, I'm not having that. So like, I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> I wish I had a dime for every time you say, nope, I'm not having that. That would be great. Yeah, right. <laughs> so- Sorry, but it goes back to I grew up having to be very determined, not just in what I knew, but in how I had to do things to get around a disability. So these things that we mentioned in context of my disability that I learned as a young child and young in life, I think not only helped me through the disability, but would end up being in my favor for a tool belt, a tool belt of skill set that when I needed other hard obstacles, because overcoming is overcoming is overcoming. I'm not saying that all our obstacles are the same, but the idea and how you overcome something big, like a mountain or climb a mountain, you're still climbing that mountain the same way with using your tools and moving your body the same way, whether it's a mountain of whatever issue it is, it's still the same way to overcome no matter what that thing you're overcoming. So when I was overcoming a disability, I had to do the same thing. When I had to get through divorce, I had to use the same things to overcome that different mountain. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a different mountain, but you still climb whatever mountain it is, no matter how diversified the mountain is, how you climb and achieve a mountain is the same muscles and the same right. skills, no matter mm-hmm. if it's a different type of different mountain. mountain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You still go up it the same way. It's just a different one this time. So right. what I learned early in life, ended up being able to assist me in my adulthood when I came up with new obstacles that I had to face that were different. Right. And, uh, and so after you got divorced, you found yourself and you were able to have some time and then you met who you call the love of your life, right? Yes. Yeah. So that, uh, that time and you were together, you, did you say how many years were you with the, your, your a deceased husband? Um, two years dating and almost to the day, 10 years marriage. He died years. 24 days shy of our um, 10th anniversary. Yes, I did the math. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you would, right? I, anybody would. How much are you willing to say about that third D, which I feel like that would be probably I, I the mean, most challenging? Yes. I <laughs> so, okay, so that's what I had thought, but I didn't know yeah. that's how you yeah. felt. Well, it is because and that sounds strange to say. You're like, well, you've done all these other things. Yes, but you have to realize because of the disability, 
it's my only reality. It wasn't like I was, I don't want to mean normal, like we're normal because like, excuse my French, but what the hell is normal? But I mean, normal in my visual ability. It wasn't like I always had it and then I lost it as a teenager and I had, you know, 15 years prior experience to remember what that was like. I've always been this way. So I've had a whole lifetime of going on 43 years in November of that's all it's ever been. That's all I've known. So for me, yes, it's challenging and hard, but I've gotten really good at it. <laughs> You know what I mean? I've, that's all I've ever done for 43 years. So it's fine. You know, yes, it kicks my butt sometimes, but it's just me being me doing what I got to do. Divorce, no one wants to admit it, but it, unfortunately in our culture today, it's a bigger part of our life than maybe it was, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So it's, you don't want it to be, but it's kind of commonplace. And even death is part of our reality because the odds of us all dying is pretty much a sure bet. But the difference is, and I'm not discounting any death because grief is grief is grief, but it's different when it's sudden and it's at a younger age as opposed to not that it's not horrible. You know, if you've lived together for 60 years and you went to all those things, that's just as devastating, maybe more so because you've had this whole life with someone and now it's gone. But it's kind of, I don't want to say expected when you're older, you've led a good life and I don't want to normalize it or minimize it, but you've you've lived 90 years and you've had all these experiences but when you literally you kiss your husband goodbye and he's going out for a drink while in eating a meal while he's studying for his exam the next weekend because he has drill weekend and you get a knock on your door at nine o'clock at night uh eastern time because we were in new hampshire on the east coast uh by the cops saying uh, we found your husband you're like what it's a mind fuck, literally. Suddenly, <laughs> another mountain has just appeared before you, right? My husband was supposed to be home that night in bed with me. Yeah. Yeah. A, a difference of five hours, he was out doing homework. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, and I just want to take take this time to, to say that that it just sounds so devastating. I know you're you sort of went through it a little fast, but it it I am I'm so sorry that happened to you. I don't know if there's a silver lining or anything that you took from it. Anything that you can say to anybody out there who has endured the loss of a spouse and a sudden and dramatic one like that. So, like I said, I'm not taking away from other losses. They're all different. It's it's loss is loss, grief is grief, and they're all hard but they are their own journey, how they come to it and the way you come to it, but it's still the same thing. So just because mine was sudden and unexpected, it doesn't take away from someone who's had this amazing life that's lived, I don't know, like my parents. They'll be almost together 50 years, including dating in November. That would be just as devastating. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's, it's a different animal when you're expecting your world to be normal and your husband comes home from doing homework, okay? It's, just, it's, it's not right or wrong. It's not better or worse. It's just different. Yeah. And the journey is different. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And as far as grief, before I get into that, I will say, once again, just like with the divorce, I had to use what I learned as a kid to get me through the divorce. And I have absolutely those um, lessons and truths and wisdoms and skill sets have absolutely been very important and very fortified and the importance in immensely profound value of them have been all that much more relevant over these last four years of where I found myself. So it's one more layer to it. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as what I would say specifically to grief, um, I don't, in any of this, don't mistake me for I'm here and I have all the answers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm only here to share my own life experience and what I've learned. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still trying to figure it out, even though it's been a little over four years out. But what I have learned in grief, uh, 
specific to grief, um, it's a journey. Um, it's a very different journey from person to person. And as hard as it is, you have to travel your own journey. Only you can get support and help. But at the end of the day, you still have to travel your own journey. No one can travel it for you. But in that same token, don't let anyone tell you how to travel something they know nothing of. Mm. Don't sit here and tell me what it is to travel this when you haven't traveled it. Yeah. Right. Do not let people take that from you and dictate the terms of which you have to navigate something that you're going through. Make it be your journey and be okay with that. You're going to travel it your way. Take it one breath at a time, one second at a time one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. And as cliche and as annoying as that is, that is really how it has to be done. Mm -hmm. Some days you take it a day at a time. Sometimes you literally, you know what? Screw it. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> I don't care. Sounds like a pretty intuitive approach. Like whatever I'm able to do in the day and, and whatever I need to get done um, or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not going anywhere. Those dishes are not going anywhere. I promise you. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. there is no fairy godmother wand that wish that vanishes all the laundry and all the housework and all the to-do list and all the garden work or whatever's on your to-do list. It is not going anywhere. I promise you. I wish it was, but it's not. It will be there in two hours. So you okay. can go back to bed. You're telling people they can go back to bed if they want to, right? If you're able to responsibly, like if you're, if you have young children, you no, know, mine were six and three. The first year I did not do a lot of that. Um, self-admittedly because my son was still at home and not in school yet, but I am in the luxury now of my kids have been in school. Both of them, Jesse's in second grade. So last three years, they're on the bus at seven 30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So during the school year, anyway, during the summer, I have a very different schedule, yeah. but during the school year from seven 30 to eight 30, Monday through Friday, you know, that's why I have the freedom to write and be on podcasts and whatever else I need to do. So yeah. if it's a bad day and I just like, no, I'm going to go watch TV and take it out. Okay. Then I'll get up and deal with it. But right. there's a for that. It's not laziness. It's when I was younger and, and yeah, I had the brilliant idea of after becoming a mom and when my daughter was eight months old, Hey, let's go to grad school. <laughs> yeah. I'm not so sure that was the most intelligent timing, but I survived. <laughs> to tell. So when I was younger and living in New Hampshire, um, John was in grad school. I was in grad school. That was my husband's name that passed. Um, we were living 26 hours away from friends and family. He was military. So a lot of times he had a crazy schedule or a lot of times he was out off in Texas or wherever the military sent him. You don't tell the government. No, <laughs> good luck with that. Um, and I was raising one and then two kids and don't forget I have a disability. So I'm going to grad school with a disability with two kids, one and then two kids and husband's in grad school on military duty and you know, it's chaos. So yeah, <laughs> that's really what I thought. Yeah. So I didn't take a lot of time to do self-care or I felt like I didn't have a lot of time. So I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I hate to admit it, but there was probably my thesis semester when my daughter was three and my son was four months old, not sleeping through the night. And I was trying to crank out this thesis that there was probably embarrassingly a good 10 days that I actually took a real honest to God shower. I mean, like I cleaned and felt fresh, but I didn't go soak in the tub a lot during those 10 days. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just didn't. So I know it's embarrassing, but that's just reality. When you're a young mom, sometimes you're like, oh, my God, can I just go pee in peace? Yeah. Eat a dang meal without being interrupted five times. Like, go away. I love you. But please, dear God, go away for five minutes. So, you know, and I think that we as women, I don't know about men, and we're just women talking with me or a, a conversation between women. I think we feel like even if we did do something for ourselves, 
the world is going to fall apart. Mm. And we feel guilty for taking five minutes for ourselves. Why? And so while I did not do it when I was younger, grief has taught me um, you absolutely have to do self-care or this journey of grief that is all-encompassing and all-engulfing will absolutely land you on your ass, whether mm. you want to or not, because it's going to make you stop at some point and do what you have to do to process. Mm. And self-care over the last four years um, has been the difference between me drowning and keeping my head above water and feel like I'm somewhat surviving. Yeah. So, well, and, and you have a method that you use to manage chaos that includes self-care. Do you yes. want to describe that to people as well? Because that, that really very nicely would segue into the, into that. Yeah. And I would kind of jumped ahead because we were talking about grief, but let's back up that process a little bit. Um, obviously mine first and foremost is my faith, but outside of faith for the ones that don't do that. And that's totally fine. I respect anyone's decisions and choices, but for me personally, it's always my faith first and foremost. But outside of that context, um, as I said earlier, life is a choice. Mm -hmm. Is that choice always easy or comfortable? <laughs> no. Life choices have never, it was never written somewhere in the world. Choices will always be comfortable and easy. No, that does not exist. That statement does not exist in the universe. So good luck with that. Have fun. I challenge anyone to find that statement. If you do, then I need to, I don't know, pay you something and then let me know, get back to me on that one. But um, <laughs> um, but it does come down to choices. And I've always chosen the path of I'm going to do this, whatever that is. Um, I'm not going to let it stand in my way. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be determined. I'm going to persevere. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. And pretty much I had the, uh, the attitude of they said, well, you can't do this. I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm going to do it to prove your ass wrong. Hold my beer and watch. Have a nice day. Thanks very much. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm it has a lot to do with the red hair people, okay? I'm a redhead, a, a natural redhead at that to boot. So I come by it very honestly. And it doesn't help that I'm a Southern gal and a Texas woman and a Scorpio. So, spicy. And it was the way I was raised about let's just see what she can do. So, I've always had life as a choice. I've always chosen the path of I'm going to do what I have to do. Is it going to be hard? Is it going to be annoying? Is it going to kick my butt sometime? Yeah, but guess what? I'm still going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is mindset. And mindset for me has been more challenging, I think, because we don't always control what pops into our little brains. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now we decide what to do with it once it's there, but we don't always get to decide what comes in and comes out of our brains. Um, and my brain can be kind of chaotic at times, but anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> if you haven't figured that out by now, but um but we have to know our mindset because our mindset, and there's a reason why in our culture that mindset is said that mind over matter, um, our mindset has a lot to do with what we end up doing in life. Are we going to be positive or negative? Are we going to be pessimist? Are we going to be, you know, optimist? Are we going to see the world half full or half empty? Are we going to look for the silver linings or the positives or the, I don't want to say happy endings, but the more the blessings that can be found even in the midst of the chaotic storm that we're in. Um, yeah. Things haven't been perfect the last four years, far from it. But every day I know I have things to be thankful for, no matter how hard it is. I try and find joy in the small things or the big things. I mean, but it still doesn't rectify what we've lost or that it's hard. And that, that, that kind of goes along with life as a choice. You can choose your mindset, right? Right. 
or you can choose what you do with it once it comes into your head, <laughs> I should say. I mean, and there's some days for me, I'm more at the, um, this really sucks into the spectrum. And then there are other days I'm like, okay, you know, I've got this. This might be okay for right now. And I may choose to process some of that. It's not okay because we have to. I'm not denying that. We do have to process our feelings and our thoughts so that we can work through them and, and come out on the other side. But we don't, what we don't have to do is let it hold us captive and trap us and paralyze yeah. us. Now, is that always easy? No, that's why we seek for resources and help of counselors or if it requires medications or other methods of, you know, self-care, like meditation, prayer, whatever. And I'm jumping ahead. But I think mindset is a very natural step after the choices because it's through your mindset that if you choose to do something amazing, when you're feeling down, it's your mindset that can help you persevere and push through. Like, no, it doesn't matter that I'm feeling down. I'm going to find a way to do this anyway. And I'm going to be positive and I'm going to do my best. So it's that mindset that helps you stay on track with the choices that you decided to see through. Absolutely. And, and then, then the, the self-care when you are having a bad day yeah. and you're just feeling down that sometimes you do maybe need to take a step back to rejuvenate or refuel or recharge to feel balanced and centered and focused so that when you're done doing your self-care, you can come back with a more positive mindset to help you stay on track with the choices you made. Because sometimes mm -hmm. we need that self-care. I mean, a lot of people, it's become kind of a, I think a trend in our culture over the last few years. And then especially with the pandemic of figuring out what we need for ourselves. And it sounds selfish. And I think a lot of people touted it as a selfish thing, but it's really not because Self-care is a broad topic in the sense of what it encompasses. Anything that implies or deals with caring for oneself, whatever that looks like for you, more power to you. I don't know. We're all different because we're all individuals and have own unique ways of we process things and relate to things and what gives us help. For me, it's like, um, yeah, I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> I, I binge on Netflix or Hulu. Oh, sorry, I do. It's my escapism. I, I dive into their storylines and their characters. I like ice cream. I like a wine occasionally. You know, I like shopping with my girlfriends. I like meditation. I like prayer. I like journaling. We're fixing to head into the summer. I love swimming. I will be in that pool every day with my children that the sun allows me to be. Okay. That's water is my happy place. I'm going to the beach in like 27 days and I cannot wait. So, you know, and hanging out with girlfriends and my writings and, you know, whatever. Um, I like counseling. I'm one of those weird ones. I actually like it. But, <laughs> so you have to find your own version. Some people, it's working out. More power to you. I'm not a runner. I never will be. Um, you'll never see me run unless I'm running for my life or trying to get across the country. But to me, that means work. So to me, that's not self-care. I'm working. I want to take a break and relax and recharge. But if that's your thing, that is awesome. My husband was a runner. He really loved it. I never got it. More power to him. And he always felt better. Like he cleared his head and came back feeling rejuvenated so whatever that thing is gardening i don't know fill in the blank whatever it is go do it and then let that be your self-care in a responsible manner now if your kids are all at home and there's no one to watch them i wouldn't say go do self-care right then but as long as you're doing reading a book you know or whatever yeah so, wow lots of examples that you gave i appreciate that because i think with a with a lot of uh, people self-care is one of those general terms but you got really specific and gave like a ton of examples that people can use and they can take care of themselves and well, it is a priority it is it's i give a lot of examples because it is a broad term like mm -hmm. i said because it has anything to do with caring for the self but because we as individual selves are unique individuals that thing that works for me 
isn't going to work for somebody else. And their thing isn't going to work for me. Yeah. I don't get into gardening. I'm going to end up killing all the plants. Okay. I'm going to be stressed <laughs> out. They're going to be dead. That doesn't do it for me, but that may do it for someone. Right. So you just have to find whatever speaks to you and makes you feel relaxed and refuels you and feeds your soul and your spirit and makes you feel happy and recharged. I mean, think of it this way. This is the metaphor I've been using for self-care. We're a deep, deep, deep well of water. Okay. And we're always happily, especially for women, this is the context I come in. We're always caring for people and we don't mind doing that. I love taking care of my children. Don't get me wrong. I love being a mom. I like to think I'm going to ask me when they're 18 and 21 and not on some national TV airing their dirty laundries. And we'll talk about how good of a mom I am. But anyway, that's about 11 years. Um, but it still requires a lot and there's nothing wrong with that. And it requires a lot of things. So you're always giving water out to people and you may love giving water out to people. But eventually, if you keep giving water all the time to people, <laughs> there's going to be nothing left. The water's going to be gone. Yeah. And then you're going to be drained and tired and exhausted and probably a little crabby or moody or whatever and overwhelmed and stressed. And then so if you want to be able to keep doing those things you love for the people you care about in your life, at some point you have to put something back in. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing left to give. And then kind of like that expression we heard when mama's happy, everybody's happy. Yeah. No, uh, when mama's sane, everybody's sane. And I like my sanity. Right, right. Well, and and I think that uh, that that goes into your your fourth re, your fourth uh, method for managing chaos uh, after so self care is uh, getting resources. Right. Sometimes self care requires resources. I know, twice a month, I'm going to have two hours with my resource and my therapist where I get to just talk about me and what I'm going through and what I need to do to make sure that stays on track. Yeah, I love that you love therapy. That's great because I think more people need to go. I go very regularly myself and, you know, and it's great. I, I love it too. So, and the resources were really super key for you when you were growing up and getting resources. People often don't like to ask for help. Do you have anything to offer people who are just really yeah. shy for asking for help? That was another byproduct of my disability because when you're disabled, <laughs> you need help a lot. So I kind of got over that fear of asking for help a long time ago. I'm like, well, if I'm going to ever do anything, I'm going to ask for help. So I kind of, my life forced me to get over that one. But for the ones that do have a problem with it, there's no shame in it. Um, as much as I am a classic, uh, great lover of music, particularly classic rock. And I love Simon and Garfunkel for anyone who's old enough to know what I'm talking about. Even though that was before my time. Um, the song... The, the song, the song, um, I'm a, I'm a rock, I'm on an island. Yeah, that's good in pretty music and that's good in theory, but no one, as much as we may want to tell us, we're never really rocks or islands. We weren't programmed that way. We weren't created that way. We all, at some point along our journey and what we're trying to do with our choices, you're going to get stuck at some point. And there is nothing wrong when getting stuck or needing help saying, maybe that's talking to a friend. Maybe that's going for coffee or, or tea or whatever you drink. Maybe that's reaching out if you are faith-based to your minister or your pastor, or if you have a Bible study teacher or a friend at church or a community group or whatever. We all need help at some point. It's part of the human experience. We don't do this human life alone. So there's no shame in it. And I personally never understood why there was like a, a stigmatism attached to it. It just means you're getting what you need. 
Right, right. We are uh, we are taught that we need to do it ourselves, and yeah, and then like you said with that Simon and Garfunkel song, we need to do it ourselves so we don't ask anybody else for help, and that's really not an effective way to yeah. manage and to help it, our us it, get it to our goals. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. So yeah. I mean, yeah, there's nothing wrong. I'm pretty independent. I do a lot of things for myself, but at the same time, even in my they don't have to be separate. You don't have to, just because you get help doesn't mean you're not independent anymore. Yeah, that's, that is very true. One doesn't threaten the other. A matter of fact, in getting help, oftentimes it protects your independence because it helps you stay your head on track and it allows you to maintain that independence through getting help because you sort through whatever's going on and then you can get back to what you wanted to do. But if you don't get that help, you may get bogged down or you may get worse and then you're rendered unable to do, you know what I mean? So it actually in getting the resources helps you maintain that independence and whatever you're trying to do in some ways, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah, that's a good way to reframe it and a very effective way for people who are hesitant uh, about getting help. I want to switch gears now and ask you about your book that's coming out. You're doing an autobiography. By the way, I do have our moderators have your website link that they can put in the chat. And so any of Michaela's books, you can go check them out on her website. But she does have one coming out that's her own autobiography. You want to talk about that for just a minute? It's going to be called Now I See, um, exactly Now I See. Um, I'm hoping to be have it out in sometime in June. It is literally walking everyone through what it was like to live this journey of 38 Triple D, um, thriving, learning how to thrive in all things and what it was like to go through all three of them. I cannot wait. I've actually really enjoyed looking at your books online and you were uh, nice enough to give me a copy of one of your books, which is kind of nice too. And uh, let me just check the uh, let me just check the the chat here. And you can talk. Tell me if you have books on. Do you have them on Audible or do you just have them on uh, on in print? I hope to have them on Audible at some point because I really, obviously, for my own life experience, really value. I mean, a lot of people just use it for maximizing their time in the car and their commute to work. But mine goes way beyond just a hobby. It's how I got through school. So I've always valued that mode of learning. So I really do want to offer that at some point for people as well. Awesome. And I want to welcome Mary Weiss here. Mary Weiss is actually somebody that I know from YouTube. And she has also said that she lost her spouse pretty Sorry. suddenly as well. And it was, uh, it was a sudden loss. Yeah. And I don't know how many years that's been, but I know that's true of Mary. Thanks, Mary. I really hope that, and, and um, Mary has gotten a lot of support from her local community as well um, through the process and from family for sure. And I don't see any questions. I guess I'll just sort of hold it open here for my moderator. Oh, there is one. It's here, let me read it to you. What helped you most during the bullying you received in school? So that's a question from my brother's brother. What do you think about that, Michaela? I, um, that part of my life, I had a really good home life. So a lot of times I would come home and just rely on my parents. I had a really good, um, safe home environment and strong, you know, good, stable environment. So that probably helped me the most. You know, I often have said, looking back on it, that had maybe um, I not have a good home environment during that very chaotic time of social rejection, I could have been a girl. Because a lot of times I think girls that get in trouble, I can't speak to boys because I'm not a boy. 
but um, kids, uh, girls that get in trouble in their adolescence because they're looking for something to mm -hmm. fill a void. And I think that because there was so much missing in my life for a lot of reasons that had I not had a good home life or structure, then maybe I'd gone down a different path looking for something that I needed. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're in school, were you thinking of, I just have to endure this right now, but when I get home, I do have a stable home life, that kind of thinking. Yeah. I just, I'll get through the day and just get home and do what I got to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially when I was in high school, it was, I knew I was close to the end. I was like, you know, I was like, okay, it's high school. It sucks. But well, I did for me. I just, high school, you couldn't repay me to go back and live that crap show. <laughs> but, there's not the money in the world. But I knew that probably once I got out of high school that hopefully in college would be a different. And it was. I loved my college years. It was very different and very enjoyable and um, very positive. So That's encouraging. I want to put up a picture here. Let's, I don't know how it's going to look here. Yeah, there. these are some of Michaela's books from her website. She's got uh, some meditations that she's done and some scriptures are tied into that and spirituality. I really like the title of uh, Take a Sip, Take a Breath and Go. And that's about motherhood. And there's there's another companion book to that right here. In the fall, and I will hopefully have out book in two and three of that series. Okay. Oh, so you're st going to still um, continue yeah. on with the series then, huh? Yeah. Awesome. And then living the beach life is the one that she was able to give me. And I love this, the, the, um, you know, learning to, to surf the waves of life. That's what we use a lot in mental health counseling. It's if you, you can't stop the waves, learn how to surf. Yep. And yeah. And then there's the, before the clock strikes midnight, that's also a series. Isn't that Michaela? Yes. The book I will, I now that I've finished my first book to come about my life, I'm going to start writing that second book to hopefully have out in August. So that one will awesome. be coming out this summer as well. Well, and I look forward to seeing your next one, which is Now I See, which I love that title of that book. And I would love to be able to um, find out when it, if you could just let me know when it comes out. And I could even add to the description of this uh, this video at any time. So when it comes out, I can, I can add it to the description. Michaela, it's been just so awesome having you on today. And I appreciate it. Yeah. This has helped. Uh, I hope this has been uh, maybe uh, an inspiring and hopefully an empowering, at least maybe, like I said, I don't have all the answers, but if anyone can take anything from what I've learned to help them along their journey, then I've done a good job. Yes. And again, we really appreciated getting to know you. Congratulations on all your books and all of your accomplishments of being a mother and a, and uh, an author and a graduate school student and all that chaos that you've gone through. And uh, maybe we'll have you back on some other time, but you, you take care and uh, we will end the stream. And thank you for all of you who have joined us on the show. And we hope you're doing well out there and that you've taken something from this uh, podcast. And we'll see you next time on Calming the Chaos. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos. If information in today's podcast was helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. You can also go to my website at www.lokahicounseling.com for more resources for calming your mental and emotional chaos. This includes a CD I created that teaches you how to practice mindfulness in less than 10 minutes. So check it out. Thanks again for listening. 
And I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.